Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Hello, hello again, everyone. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm super excited that you are here for episode 170, and we're talking today about cystic fibrosis. Now, before we hop into talking about CF, I do want to take a moment for our listener shout out, and this one goes out to someone who goes by the name of Vagabond. Something, something. It's hard to tell sometimes on Apple Podcasts or wherever people put in their reviews because it's kind of, um, it's like their Apple username. So uh, I hope you recognize who you are. So here is what Vagabond had to say. I'm a male Aussie nursing student who only came across this podcast a fortnight ago. And since then, I've basically binge listened to every episode, some twice. I love how easy Nurse Mo makes learning the minutia of each subject, and I look forward to each new episode to see what topic will make me a better nursing student for now and a better healthcare professional in the future. I also love the pod quizzes. Keep up the great work, Nurse Mo. Well, thank you so, so very much for taking the time to submit that review. I read every single one of them, you guys, and they always come at the exact right time when I totally need a reminder of why I work so hard, why I regularly put in 15, 16 hour days. It fills me with so much joy. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing that. Okay, everyone, are we ready to talk about cystic fibrosis? So cystic fibrosis, which you will often see abbreviated or even verbally referred to as CF, is an autosomal recessive disease that comes about results when a gene that encodes for a specific protein is defective. And this protein functions as a chloride channel in the epithelium, affecting individuals with CF in a variety of ways and in multiple ranges of severity. So the most commonly affected body systems are the respiratory system. You'll also see the pancreas affected and the GI tract, as well as reproductive organs. 
So cystic fibrosis is typically taught as part of your pediatrics course. And I think that's because, you know, it's diagnosed usually at a very, very young age. And for a long time, these patients didn't live into adulthood. Um, Even now with really great treatment, the life expectancy is still only about 44 years. Um, It's an improvement, um, but it's still very, very heartbreakingly low. However, I'm going to tell you guys about a new medication coming up uh, further on in this episode that could potentially have some pretty significant life expectancy um, um, improvements. So we'll we'll talk about that very briefly later on. So cystic fibrosis, again, commonly taught in pediatrics, but you will have adult patients who have CF. So let's talk about the pathophysiology of that before we get into using the straight A nursing latte method, okay? So in cystic fibrosis, chloride channels are not functioning properly. And what this does is this leads to a disruption in the sodium and chloride levels in the body's epithelial mucosal surfaces. So these cell surfaces become dehydrated and they secrete a very thick viscous mucus that can cause scarring at the organ level and even lead to organ failure. So let's take a look at how this mucus, these mucus plugs affect the most commonly targeted organs in cystic fibrosis. So in the pancreas, Mucus plugs clog the pancreatic ducts and prevent pancreatic enzymes from reaching the intestine. So what happens here is that this leads to malabsorption of nutrients and failure to thrive. It can also damage beta islet cells, leading to something called cystic fibrosis-related diabetes, or CFRD. Common complications you'll see with your CF patients include pancreatitis, cholelithiasis, cirrhosis, and again, malnutrition and failure to thrive. In the respiratory tract, which I think is kind of like when you think of CF, you think respiratory. In the respiratory tract, mucus plugs can block the airways, um, impair gas exchange, and put that individual at really, really high risk for respiratory infections. This is one of the most common manifestations that you'll see with CF. 90% of patients who have cystic fibrosis will have some degree of pulmonary involvement. And the significant complications that can occur can be things like pneumothorax, they can have significant hemoptysis and pulmonary hypertension. And then in the male reproductive system, the mucus can block the vas deferens, which impedes the passage of sperm, causing infertility in that male patient. And then in the female reproductive system, Thickening of cervical mucus can make it really challenging for sperm cells to reach the egg. And then couple that with nutritional deficiencies, respiratory abnormalities. It also leads to irregular ovulation. So a lot of women with CF do have difficulty conceiving. So now that you have a basic understanding of cystic fibrosis, let's talk through the key points using the straight A nursing 
latte method. So the first letter is L, and that stands for look. How does the patient look? So signs and symptoms, presentation, what are they complaining of? All of the things you might notice about this patient. So many of the signs and the symptoms of a patient with CF are related to that respiratory malfunction. So these include adventitious lung sounds, and that can be wheezes, that can be ronchi, that could be persistent crackles. There's also excessive mucus production. Persistent cough is common. Increased work of breathing makes perfect sense, right? So you could see um, increased work of breathing, accessory muscle use, Barrel chest can occur due to chronic air trapping. Along with that, you might see clubbing of the fingers due to chronic hypoxemia. And in later stages of the disease, the individual could have pulmonary hypertension, which would also result in right-sided heart failure. So lots of respiratory symptoms that you might notice about the patient with CF. With the gastrointestinal symptoms, you might hear from the patient that they have a lack of an appetite, maybe their sense of taste is diminished, they could have abdominal pain, flatulence, loose and fatty stools are not uncommon, abdominal distension and rectal prolapse. And then other kind of general signs and symptoms that you might notice about a patient with CF are weight loss or malnutrition, even failure to thrive. And then that salty tasting skin, this is going to be on a test, I guarantee it. Parents um, often like the first thing they notice is when they go to kiss their little baby, they say baby tastes really salty. And this is due to sodium not being able to move normally through the cells that line those sweat ducts. So the result is exceptionally salty sweat in these babies. And again, it's one of the very first things that parents notice. And then you could see, especially in little ones, restlessness, and that can be due like to hypoxia, can be due to abdominal pain, those types of things. Okay, the A in latte stands for assess. How do we assess a patient with CF? So obviously a full set of vital signs, paying special attention to respiratory rate and SpO2. You also want to assess the quality and the amount of sputum, making note of their ability to clear their airway. Okay, that's absolutely key. And noting any signs of respiratory distress. So that's, you know, we looked at the respiratory rate when we looked at the vital signs, but now let's look at how shallow or deep. Are, are the breaths regular? Are they using uh, accessory muscles? Any sign of respiratory distress. You want to listen to the lung sounds. Assess their nutritional status. You know, if it's a little, if it's a little baby, how much is baby eating? Weigh the patient. Assess elimination habits. As the the stools with CF tend to be frequent, they tend to be fatty and and loose stools. So assess elimination habits. Abdominal pain assessment could be done on someone you know old enough to describe their abdominal pain. Um, that can happen a lot with GI involvement. Look for abdominal distension, things like that. 
with children, you want to you want to be aware that these kids are hospitalized a lot and can be socially isolated from others because of the risk for infection. So you want to assess coping mechanisms. You cannot ever ignore that, especially in kids, and how well they are meeting their developmental milestones, like psychosocially is what I'm speaking of. And then you also want to assess their activity intolerance as Individuals with CF may become fatigued with activity, even with eating, like with little babies. That can be tiring for them. So you want to assess their activity intolerance. And then T, the first T stands for test. So what tests are often ordered for an individual with cystic fibrosis or suspected cystic fibrosis? So looking at diagnostic tests and screening, these typically occur before 12 months of age. However, because the disease severity can vary greatly, it is not unheard of for someone to have a diagnosis after the age of 12 months, okay? The sweat test, and I did air quotes, you guys can't see me, but I did air quotes. The sweat test is the quantitative pilocarpine iontophoresis test. Let's just call that QPIT because I don't ever want to have to say that whole phrase again. That was tough. Anyway, this sweat test or the QPIT is the gold standard for diagnosing CF. And this test involves analyzing the patient's sweat, which will typically show nearly like four times the normal amount of sodium and chloride. A value above 60 millimoles per liter is considered positive for CF. So newborn screening involves assessing the level of immunoreactive trypsinogen, or IRT, and this is a pancreatic protein that can be elevated in infants with CF. And this test involves getting a little sample of blood. Typically, that's from that heel stick and then placing it on a special card called the Guthrie card. Imaging studies can aid in the diagnosis of CF. These include things like chest X-ray, looking at pulmonary involvement, abdominal X-ray, abdominal ultrasound. And then genetic testing is recommended for those with a positive family history of CF and who are planning to become pregnant. Another test that could be ordered for your patient with CF is an arterial blood gas, an ABG. This could be obtained to determine if the individual has adequate gas exchange. Pulmonary function tests, or PFTs, can tell us about the individual's lung capacity and and how well air flows in and out of the lung. So PFTs are not conducted on really small children because they can't follow the instructions for the exam. It typically involves, you know, holding your breath and blowing here and inhaling here. So typically, five or six years old and older will undergo PFTs. And then CBC and sputum cultures would be conducted when infection is suspected, especially a respiratory infection. So the second T in LATTE stands for treatments. What treatments are provided for an individual with cystic fibrosis? Really important here to note that there is not a cure for CF. And treatment is really focused on managing symptoms related to impaired gas exchange, malnutrition, and infections. 
So treatments, let's first talk about malnutrition and sodium imbalance. So treatments addressing this would be things like pancreatic enzyme supplements, amylase or lipase or both. So a lot of your patients, if not all of your patients with CF will have pancreatic enzyme supplements. A doctor may also prescribe fat-soluble vitamins. So individuals with CF often have difficulty digesting and absorbing fat. So they need fat-soluble vitamins and supplementation. Increased sodium intake, especially during hot weather and during exercise. A lot of times this is dietary sodium. I guess it's possible that it could be a sodium tablet. I guess it would just depend on the individual patient. Calcium supplements, especially if pancreatic insufficiency is present. And then a general treatment addressing malnutrition is that we really want to encourage increased calories. And, you know, this could just be simply from a well-balanced diet or the individual may need nutritional supplements. I found one online called Encala, E-N-C-A-L-A, which is specific for individuals with cystic fibrosis. So if you're interested in learning about that, you can check that out. Treatments addressing the respiratory system include medications such as bronchodilators, mucolytics, and antibiotics, as well as anti-inflammatory medications. Now, earlier I did talk about kind of a groundbreaking new medication. Trikafta is a newer medication used in patients six years and older who have a specific gene mutation. So there's a bunch of different gene mutations with CF. Trikafta doesn't work on every patient with CF, only ones who have specific gene mutations. A study showed that in individuals 12 years and older, lung function in patients taking Trikafta improved by 13.8%. Additionally, study participants had significantly fewer pulmonary exacerbations and hospitalizations. So a lot of really good information and data coming out about Trikafta. So I will link to that. If you go to the blog post article about this, all the link to the Trikafta website is in there, and I'll link to the blog post article in the episode notes. Chest physiotherapy. This is um, like tapping on the chest, different kinds of things that the caregiver can do for the patient and, you know, they will be taught how to do this before they leave the hospital with their baby. Some key things about this are it's best done before meals because you don't want to have emesis, right? It can't actually cause emesis. It includes percussion, like I talked about, and also includes vibration, which could be, I believe they have specific vests that can do the vibration and maybe even vests that can do the percussion. I know in the ICU, our beds do the percussion and they kind of thump the patients. Very interesting. Um, it can be very fatiguing for the patient. It can also be fatiguing for the caregiver. So make sure that you're providing adequate time for rest, especially for the patient. And then chest physiotherapy, that percussion, that vibration is often used in combination with postural drainage. And this typically involves alternating lying on the left and the right side and prone and Trendelenburg position. So going through different positions to drain different areas of the lung. And again, that's often used in coordination with chest physiotherapy. The huff-cough technique can help mobilize and remove thick secretions. And then PEEP, which is positive end expiratory pressure, 
may be utilized in severe cases to help the alveoli open and stay open for longer periods, and this improves gas exchange. And then in very severe cases, when respiratory involvement is significant, then lung transplant is looked at. E in LATTE stands for educate. How do you educate the patient and the caregiver? So I would the first thing I would do if you guys are really interested in learning a lot about cystic fibrosis is go to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation website. A ton of patient education materials. I'm just going to touch on a few things here, okay? So one of the key things that you would want to teach the caregiver is how to perform that chest physiotherapy and that postural drainage, okay? That's going to be something they'll do all the time at home. Teaching the patient, teaching the caregiver about nutritional needs is going to be very, very important. That's things like increased calories, increased fat, increase the salt intake and take those vitamins, that vitamin supplementation and those pancreatic enzymes. If the individual has CFRD, the cystic fibrosis related diabetes, then you got to do all the teaching about diabetes. You want to also make sure that the patient and caregiver understand that developmental delays can occur I'm talking about physical developmental delays, especially as the patient approaches what's considered a normal puberty age. Teach the patient and the caregiver that special care must be taken to avoid infection. They're already at really high risk. You don't want them getting an infection. So basic guidelines, right? Hand hygiene, avoid being around ill individuals. CF patients are typically advised to maintain a distance of six feet from other individuals with CF covering coughs, receiving all recommended vaccinations, those kinds of things. And again, teach them about resources that are available. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is a wealth of information. And whenever you guys are studying for something and you really want to get the patient perspective and understand what patients are taught about their disease process, if there's a national foundation about that disease, go to that website. You will learn so, so much. I promise you some of those questions will be on your exams. So that is your basic introduction to caring for patients with cystic fibrosis. I'm going to run through a few very key things just as a reminder. CF is a disease resulting from a genetic mutation that often presents as respiratory and GI abnormalities. Children are often diagnosed after the parent reports the baby tastes salty when they kiss them. The individual with CF will produce excessively thick mucus that plugs airways and impairs organ function. And treatments involve pancreatic enzymes, respiratory medications, chest physiotherapy, maximize nutritional status, and avoiding infection. Okay, so that is your TLDR, your too long didn't read. So thank you so much for hanging out with me to talk about cystic fibrosis. Next week, we are going to talk about something that at first I thought was going to be a super simple episode, but it ended up being kind of an epic, big topic. So we're going to talk about the interdisciplinary team, who those key people are, what their roles generally are, and when you might call in one of them to help care for your patient and get on your team. So that is what we're going to talk about next week. See you soon. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.